I think, you know, whoever's making a movie or a film or a documentary, you're tasked with presenting a set of facts, but more than that, you're tasked with making people feel something, right? Because it's really at the end of the day about emotion. And what does someone feel at the end of your film? How, how have they changed? And, you know, it's one thing when you think about that just in filmmaking, but that applies to anything in life, right? When I am communicating with you, Mariah, how do I want you to feel at the end of this interview, right? How do I want like the person I'm selling something to feel? And the pacing of a conversation versus the pacing of a scene, it's kind of similar. We don't use the same words, but it is really teaches you how to be an excellent communicator. Welcome to the Egg Gap Evolution Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah Phillips. You can call me Mariah because that's my name. And I'm thrilled to have you on this journey with me and all of the spectacular guests who jump on the podcast to give you more options for educating children so that children have more options for building a magnificent future. The Egg Gap Evolution Podcast is a digital community where parents, educators, and innovators drop the details on how they are using their lives to help children explore the vastness of education beyond the textbook so that we can close America's education gap together. And just in case you didn't get the memo, producing a podcast is a whole lot of work. We're talking schedule coordination, production, the list goes on and on. So in return for bringing you this show every week, we just ask that you always find a way to share and use what you learn on the podcast to enrich children and families everywhere. Alrighty, without further ado, come along with me to meet our very next guest. Today, we're speaking with cinematographer, educator, and producer Angela Panaglia, who produces unforgettable films for small businesses and nonprofits like the National Center for Learning Disabilities, Young Adult Leadership Council, and the World Bank, to name a few. Angela's most recent work includes a feature-length documentary about the seldomly broadcasted sport of synchronized skating. The film features incredible women who will stop at nothing to make synchronized skating an Olympic sport. Angela's enthusiasm for storytelling is quite frankly contagious, and I'm excited to jump into the details of how she's empowering teens to tell more stories through film at the documentary filmmaking nonprofit Docs in Progress. So Angela, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here today. I'm happy to have you here. And by the time folks finish hearing this episode, they will be too. (laughs) I hope, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) So we want to know more about where you're from, your work with youth. There's just so much goodness to cover. But first, albeit beautiful, the reality is filmmaking is a time-consuming process where like attention to detail is crucial. I was an English major and had to take like two filmmaking classes and it was not easy. Mm -hmm. And many have tried their hand at it and given up. So... I'm wondering, you could have chosen to dedicate your life to so many things. Why filmmaking? Wow. Well, first of all, I was also an English major. Go English majors. Um, (laughs) You know, I had the dream to be a filmmaker or to become one when I was like 17. I remember it so clearly. It was like I was watching the Oscars and that was a year that the English patient won Best Picture. And, you know, I didn't know how to make that a reality. You know, I grew up in Miami. My mother's an immigrant from the Dominican Republic. She worked in a factory sewing. My father was a handyman. You know, it was a working class family. Like, we didn't yeah. know artists. Like, my job was to graduate high school and go to college. Right, and exactly. my sister, who was older, my half-sister, uh, she uh, she was a school teacher. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to go into education. So I'm going to get my degree in English, and I'm in education, 
And that was my 20s, right? It was all in education, which is which I'm grateful for, but because I didn't know how to become a filmmaker. <laughs> and it wasn't until I was old enough that I, you know, basically, okay, I can figure this out. I just got to go back to school, right? Like now right. I can get a student loan. And so at 30 is 31 when I, is when I decided to move to Washington, D.C. to pursue my master's. And I'm so glad I did that. I'm now finishing that decade. I just turned 40 last year, right? So it's been like the last 10 years of my life. His second career has been filmmaking. And it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I don't get paid a lot. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's hard to get your work out in front of people, but it's totally worth it. It's like worth every sacrifice, right? And it's it's not just sacrifice of time. It's like the sacrifice of money, right? I have not been at my highest earning potential for many years, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And the reason is because to me, there's no greater feeling, feeling and I think I was basically just fulfilling my soul's purpose here on earth to tell the stories that, you know, I'm compelled to tell, right? So it's super lonely. And being a documentary filmmaker is really tough unless you're like really funded, like by big, you know, production houses or studios. Like you're working alone a lot, right? So, and people are like, why do you do it? And sometimes I wonder, why do I do it? And it's because, you know, it's a calling. And I'm telling you, I had that calling since I was 17. And I'm so grateful that I've actually been able to achieve it. That is just, I mean, I like what you said about um, following your soul's purpose. Some people might see it as really woo woo, but like at the end of the day, when you, because I've experienced it myself, when you're doing what you're supposed to do with your life, at the end of the day, there's so much richness to life beyond monetary gain. Um, And sometimes I know, you know, I came from a a low income community and you're like, oh yeah, right. Well, guess you've never been broke before. It's like, I guess you've never been fulfilled before, you know. Right. Well, that's what my 20s was, right? Like satisfying that need, like insurance, retirement, right? Like being financially stable and I wasn't happy. (laughs) Like, and so like I, you know, and now I'm happy. I might not have a lot of money, but man, I am happy. And, you know, it's funny, like my mom, you know, um, she knows what I do, but she still doesn't fully understand what I do, right? Because like, that's just a world that she just doesn't get. Yeah. So yeah, my mom, you know, like I made a movie. She's like, I don't know. <laughs> and she, we had because of COVID when Life in Synchro came out last year, we haven't she hasn't seen it in a theater or anything. And just that just goes to show like sometimes the disconnect right from like this working class background to being an artist like there's just no frame of reference. Yeah. And that's what I grew up with. Right. Like, how do you do it? And that's the reason I'm so happy to still be in education today and help kids, especially kids who don't have those opportunities, make those connections because what it basically took me to get here was time, right? Mm-hmm. The investment, the cost was years, right? Figuring out my life, figuring out how to be an adult and saying, wait, you can go make a movie. You don't need permission, right? right? <laughs> no one's going to give it to you. You got to just go get it. And so that's what I love about teaching. And, you know, I work with Docs in Progress and I work with other organizations teaching youth about it. I, and, oh, it's just, you know, because I just feel like I'm going to save you so many years. Right. You don't have to have the heartache <laughs> I had. <laughs> yes. And rewinding a little bit. Um, I guess we're winding back a bit to those teen years. Like mm-hmm. what, what were, I know you said 17 is when you mm-hmm. really were like, I want to do make movie, you know, films, documentaries. So did you have like three top interests between the ages of 12 and 18? Like just general, like yeah, life just like general interest. <laughs> you know, honestly, no, not I'm not too excited. Like I did have a camcorder, right? My dad did get me one. So like, but I would not make movies. I, would, I don't even know what I was filming. But I have to say, I was really motivated to do well in school to be able to go to college. So like, I was really like a, a nerd. <laughs> I graduated uh, was number nine in my class of over 400 people. I was really just like trying to get to college, and I did go to school for free, thankfully, at the University of Florida. And you know, right. honestly, like. 
talking about like, you know, what I do now with Docs in Progress and enrichment and like having the opportunity, I just never had those opportunities, right? Like it was like, there just wasn't that kind of, you know, like you basically spent the whole, your, all summer you were home alone, you know, and like cooking and like doing the dishes, right? Like that yeah. was summer, which was so exciting, right? Because you didn't have to go to school, but I just didn't have, you know. I don't think it was unfortunate. I just got to use my imagination a lot, entertain myself by reading books. Like that was, yeah. the, that's, that's who teenage Angela was. <laughs> Look guys, nerds are also fine. That is the lesson here. <laughs> I'm a nerd. We're all fine. Right. Um, so you spent a lot of time telling other people's stories and I'm wondering, do you have some favorite storytellers? And if so, who are they? Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you top favorite movies because I think, uh, this is my favorite thing to say. First of all, A League of Their Own. Ooh, yeah, by that's Penny a good one. Marshall, which you know, as a young person, definitely touched me. Um, but my favorite all-time all-time movie is Sister Act. Yes. Um, <laughs> I like movies that are uplifting and stories, right? Stories yeah. too that are just uplifting that you feel good, and also like you know, nineties. You know, you know, I was a kid of the nineties, eighties, and nineties. There was just a lot of stories where women were the focus, you know, and mm-hmm. were these fully developed characters. And obviously, things are getting better, but those two in particular. And you know, by the way, just to do a little Whoopi Goldberg connection to A League of Their Own, the woman who directed A League of Their Own, Penny Marshall, her which was of Laverne and Shirley, her first movie was Jumpin' Jack Flash, which featured Whoopi Goldberg. For any Whoopi Goldberg fans <laughs> oh out there, oh my goodness, yeah, it's such an interesting connection. I'm like, I love these two movies, and anyway, that it connects. And like Whoopi is the fuse that (laughs) I know (laughs) brings everything together. I know she's great, but oh my god, yes, I can, yes. Um, so yeah, I just like uplifting stories, right? Like there's enough sadness, and you know, there's definitely a place for sadness and seriousness and drama Mm -hmm. in the world. But I just want to like laugh and you know be happy when I'm in in stories, you know, whether it's books or movies. Yes, more laughter. I love it. Yes. So let's talk about the very first story that you ever produced. What was it? How did you feel? (laughs) What went totally right or what went totally wrong? All right. So, okay, I'm 31. I've gone back to film school. And at 31, you're kind of a little bit old for film school, depending on who you're like, you know, who you're, you know, even though it's not old at all, right? Like, so... Um, but I was uh, grouped with some really young guys. God bless them. And I just remember, like, I don't even want to talk about that part too much other than I was like, wow, 31 is very different than t- 23. <laughs> and so coming off, that was my first semester of film school. I'm like, I'm going to make an experimental film because this is what I'm here. You know, I'm here to like make art because, you know, I didn't go just for documentary filmmaking. My master's is in, you know, just like general filmmaking. Okay. And um I was into this really experimental film based on these aphorisms by this poet named Antonio Portia. And like, I got so experimental that I got one friend of mine, like, you know, peeling chicken wings, like slow motion. It was like the grossest, like visceral thing. Um, But you know, I, it's funny because I was thinking about it. I actually really enjoyed the process, not because the film is great. No, it's like a student experimental film. It's awful to watch now, but it's because I had the flexibility and the freedom to just be creative, right? Yeah. Like when you don't get that many spaces to do that, honestly, outside of an educational, you know, situation sometimes, yeah, right? True. And and so, and that's honestly the craziest thing I ever did was that first semester of film school. And after that, I tried to get more serious and try to have like things that, you know, like, I don't want to call them products, but like films that people actually want to watch, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, I was hoping the experimental one would be good. Um, but yeah. And then, yeah, it was just, it, you know, looking back on it, like the idea it was a nice little premise, but you know, it was a student film and I'm, but I'm glad I did it. <laughs> yeah. You got that moment, you know, like, like teenage years when it, you, people just like go crazy as a teen. And then like right. you grow up, it was just the same thing, but in film exactly. school context. Exactly. Exactly. 
Exactly. So that's really cool. Um, chicken wing peeling and all. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> inspiration. Gross. Inspiration is a huge part of storytelling, filmmaking, and honestly, anything that any of us chooses to do or create in life. But nowadays, like... <laughs> We, we all see, at least I see it. Social media has so many people, like you were saying, there's a lot of spaces for depression. There's a lot of spaces for sadness. And I do just see a lot of sadness about feeling uninspired or what am I supposed to do mm-hmm. in life? Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, is it possible to quote unquote force inspiration or is there some sort of way, like one thing that we can do to tap into the idea of getting inspired by the world around us? Right. Well, I also, well, okay, I have two answers to that. First, I think sometimes it's good to have seasons of not being inspired personally, because mm-hmm. I, you know, as a, you know, I think I hate to say that I'm a creative because I think everybody's creative, right? So yeah. I sometimes don't even like using that term, but as someone who's expected to be creative all the time, you can't be, right? And I used to get upset with myself when I couldn't be. And then I'm like, you know what? It's actually okay. Like, I'm just going to take a break. Like, I don't need to be creative every single day of my life. Yeah. Um, but I also think inspiration and creativity is practice, right? Like you got to practice that. It's not going to come to you naturally, not always. And well, how do you practice it? Well, I think, you know, obviously you can find inspiration in anything in life or in the world, but setting aside time and, and the space to be able to explore that. So, you know, even if it's like once a week, you're going to put set out two hours on the weekend to go to an art museum. And, you know, it doesn't have to be an art museum. It could be a railroad museum, just like, new experiences, right? You know, going for a walk, instead of going the route you normally go, change it up and go a different route, right? Listen to a full album, right? Like just give yourselves an hour to listen and just do that. And so it's like setting up and just setting time. And I think you cannot feel inspired at the end of a long work week. Like you're not going to get home Friday at five and say, okay, right now I'm going to start working on my novel. It's just not going to (laughs) happen. You're going to be exhausted. You're yeah. mentally exhausted. You've given all of your mental creative energy usually to your work day, right? Like your employer right. is – that's what you, you get paid for, right? And that's, I have to say, to me is the hardest part of when I'm working different jobs. Like how do I retain some of that creative energy for myself? I don't want to give it all away. And so I do a lot of my creative work early in the morning when I'm freshest mm. or like I sit and try to be inspired by to do that because – I'm giving, you know, I want the hundred percent, hundred percent Angela, not like 10% Angela at the end of the day. So, but, but you get set aside time and just practice at it. Cause you know, the first couple of times you're just trying to be like inspired, just open. It doesn't, it's going to feel kind of funny. Right. But the more you do it, it's, you've almost fall into it quicker, right? Like free flow, like just writing ideas down, right. Or like sketching stuff out, whatever your uh, form of inspiration you're looking for, whatever the art form is, just giving yourself time. Yeah, I appreciate that you said um, the piece about, you know, not necessarily get to the, whether it's adults at the end of their workday or kids at the end of the school day, like sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves, like, okay, now I have to come up with this, you know, great activation. It's like that same, you know, you, you're pulling from the same energy pot, mm-hmm. whether you're right. at your nine to five or writing your novel, painting your picture, whatever. So right. thank you for that advice. That is so important, guys. Be kind to yourself and realistic. <laughs> yeah. So. And give yourself like time for like, you know, like to get like re-energized. Like if you're not feeling it, don't push it. It's all right. Take a break. You know, next totally week I'll fine. try to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, you, I would assume, have a little bit more energy than the rest of us because... <laughs> 
you work at Docs in Progress. Um, And we'd love to learn more about the work that you do there. So could you tell us about the organization's mission, your role, and then specifically about the program that you run for teens? Sure. Yeah. So Docs in Progress is a Silver Spring-based nonprofit that literally just helps filmmakers tell stories and specifically in documentary format. So whether that's an emerging filmmaker, like an adult like myself who went back to film school at 30, you could do that at any age with Docs and Progress. We have a lot of uh, filmmaking workshops for adults. We do teen programming and we also just screen films, uh, a lot of documentary films. We try to have, we do an annual film festival and kind of like the, the main project or main program of Docs in Progress is this fellowship. It's called the Docs in Progress Fellowship. Every year we bring 10 filmmakers together. And you know how I said at the opening that documentary filmmaking is very lonely? Well, what helped me finish Life in Synchro was a Docs in Progress Fellowship. That was my first kind of foot in the door with Docs in Progress a couple years ago. Once a month, I'd meet with a bunch of other filmmakers, and we basically just share our frustrations, our joys, and get uh, peer support and encouragement. You know, when you're working alone, just telling somebody, checking in with someone once a month to tell them about your progress was like, is huge, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, we have 10, and this year, because of COVID, we actually have filmmakers from all across the U.S. Normally, we just service uh, the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. So, um, so yeah, that's what Docs does, and I am the artistic director, so I'm, you know, programming the films and setting up the classes and bringing in, like, teaching artists on board and stuff like that. And, you know, every summer and spring, and sometimes we do this during winter break, we do teen workshops, teen filmmaking workshops, um, where, depending on whether it's a week or two, uh, students learn all about camera work editing and they work with another person or sometimes in groups of three and they produce a film in a really short period of time so that they learn the whole filmmaking process from beginning to end and um, a lot of those films then we screen in our annual film festival which is called the community stories film festival and so this the students get a chance or the teens to share their films during the program, you know, the workshop, and then they get to revisit them later in the year. And we usually have other people from the community watch the work. So it's kind of nice when you make something and it gets seen more than once, you know? So, um, and really, you know, just supporting filmmakers in general, I think is a real big thing for Docs in Progress and creating community around documentary. That's such a great program. I mean, one, a fantastic organization, you know, your adults, teens, And I've never made a documentary film, but I have done a lot of artistic work. And I'm sure those listening to the podcast have as well, even if it's not necessarily in film. And like you said, it is very, very nice and also important (laughs) to have that community support where you can vent and people know where you're going, what you're going through. And, you know, especially as teenagers, that is a lot of feedback that we do hear from teens often is people don't know what I'm going through. And so it seems like to me, not only does this program allow teens self-expression to tell stories, you know, to just be, but also they're, they're not out on the limb, you know, there's a Mm -hmm. space for that sort of support. Exactly. Like I think, you know, these types of hands-on creative camps or workshops, whatever you want to call them, just gives kids time, like a, you know, space experiment to have fun. And like, it's okay. Like it doesn't, nothing is ever going to be perfect, but here we really don't care about that. Obviously you want a nice end product, but it's more about the process and gaining self-confidence, right? During the process. Um, Because, you know, I think about like I do different kinds of teaching. I don't just do that. Like I also teach at universities or, you know, different. What I want for my students is always for them to just be confident in themselves 
and their ability to tackle new problems, right? Yeah. What, and that's really what you want, like to capacitate folks to be able to just move forward and, and um, you know, live to their greatest potential. So, and I, I, you know, this seems like really big picture, but like, I think of that every time I'm teaching a class, like, even if it's just one thing you take away from me, you figured out how to do this on your own. Yeah, that's really important. I wonder, um, are there any source? So I know you said that you guys now serve um, nationally because of COVID. At first, you were just serving mm-hmm. the DMV. So are, folk, are, are students, teens, are they meeting up at any point or like, are they just virtual right now? So we have uh, both a virtual and an in-person. So with a virtual one, we can have folks from all over the U.S. And we send out um, an iPad kit with a tripod and mic. Uh, And last summer, we actually had uh, someone up in Massachusetts, a few up in Philly, too. So it was kind of cool. And then for in-person, obviously, you know, if you're local. um, But, yeah, there's an opportunity for no matter where you are. Perfect. So yeah, so you guys send the equipment to the teens. Yeah, for those on the virtual, yeah, the virtual program we do because on well, it makes it easier, I think, to teach when everybody has the same equipment. Number one, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot easier. Imagine everyone's on like five different cameras and you're over Zoom. Like last summer, you know, I taught that class last summer, and you know, like you know, like last June, Zoom was still kind of new. You know, like it yeah. was early on in the pandemic, people were still figuring things out. I think now everyone's a lot more better with that, but it does make things easier. And yeah, I think you know having equipment that's not overly complicated to use either is also important because at the end of the day, you know, with one to two weeks, you don't have tons of time, right? So yeah, yeah, you want to teach them the technical, but at the heart of what we're teaching is story, right? How do we put together a good story? How do you find characters and develop those characters in meaningful ways? And, And so it's almost like the technology is secondary. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I just love this so much. <laughs> you should take a class. Oh, believe me. I only, I found out about Docs in Progress because I saw the teens program on Eventbrite. And then when uh, I saw that you guys also served adults, Angela, we'll talk about that later. But, um, so, uh, what are, and one last question about the program. What age, what ages do you all consider like teens to be? Yeah. Like, like 13 to 17. So okay. uh, it could be an 18 year old. Uh, we just don't want someone who's, you know, like a rising senior. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, so how does, I know you, um, mentioned, you know, the storytelling and how the equipment is kind of secondary. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other opinions or thoughts on how documentary filmmaking influences a child's education in a way that maybe no other art form can? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I'm glad that you refer to documentary filmmaking as an art form because I think some people interpret documentaries as more like fact and journalism than art. And I think, well, I think it's interesting because it straddles kind of both both sides, right? Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, I do see it as art. And um, <clears throat> I think, you know, whoever's making a movie or a film or a documentary, you're tasked with presenting a set of facts. But more than that, you're tasked with making people feel something, right? Because it's really, at the end of the day, about emotion. And what does someone feel at the end of your film? How, how have they changed? And, you know... It's one thing when you think about that just in filmmaking, but that applies to anything in life, right? When I am communicating with you, Mariah, how do I want you to feel at the end of this interview, right? How do I want like the person I'm selling something to feel? And the pacing of a conversation versus the pacing of a scene, it's kind of similar. We don't use the same words, but it is really teaches you how to be an 
excellent communicator. I don't want to call it a propaganda, but documentaries can be propaganda very easily, right? Mm -hmm. When you really think about it, because it's not just facts, we get to manipulate those emotions, right? With like inspiring music or, you know, sad music, right? Like those long takes. And so if you learn that skill here, you can apply that to anything, right? To anything and everything. And I think, you know, obviously there's also the creative element, right? Where you're thinking visually, Mm -hmm. um, but it's good for like any type of learner because, you know, some, some of us learn better by listening or seeing and documentary and filmmaking in general requires everything, right? All your senses almost, right? Because it's tangible because you're physically doing the work when you're doing it. When you're like looking at transcripts you're reading or you could be listening to them. I'm trying to figure out how to tell this story visually in a way that's unique that you haven't seen it before. It activates so many parts of your brain. And you're ultimately problem solving. The problem is I've got to make a movie you want to see about this topic. How do I do that? And how many projects or things that you do sometimes in school require all of that, all of that at once? Not a lot, right? right. And ultimately you are creating, right? Uh, what's a, I can't remember. What's the name of that hierarchy, educational hierarchy? Uh, oh, I know. Oh my God. You know, like- <laughs> Uh, it's all right. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like basic knowledge at the yeah. beginning and at the top, it's like creation, right? Yeah. That's what we're, we're higher level order thinking, right? Critical thinking. So um, that's, I think, you know, obviously people have different perspectives on that, but I think that's what makes it such a great tool to just apply to anything in life. You know, after, even if you never make a movie ever again, he did yeah. it once. Yeah. It's so, I, I love that guys, like the, what, doc, what filmmaking, documentary filmmaking can do for a teen's development and like, like Angela is saying, communication skills is just so spectacular because I know, especially nowadays, a lot of parents, technology gets a lot of flack. You know, people are like, you on mm-hmm. them phones or, you know, yeah. just like a lot of <laughs> tech like bashing. Yeah. And like, this is one of few things where tech is helping, you know, tech, mm-hmm. your kid can get into tech and you can feel good about it because they are for, first and foremost telling a story, learning communication skills. And just, it's just such a good hodgepodge of like, uh, I like to call things in mesh like a good gumbo of like creativity, mm-hmm. yeah. tech, and and just life skills. Exactly, and you know this is one of the great things where now we have phones everywhere. Like it's good for us. Before, you know, filmmaking was very hard to get into; it was very expensive, and now anybody could do it, right? Like you don't. Yes, we want you to come to Docs in Progress, but you could also learn it just by watching videos on YouTube, right? Like, yeah. Um, and I just like that it's so accessible these days. Mm-hmm. So keeping it real is pretty common for parentals to fear that pursuing a career in the arts is like a one-way ticket to like living under a bridge. Like mm-hmm. people are like, you know, yeah. low-income <laughs> life, struggle, yeah. disappointment. Yeah. So yeah. um, I actually wanted to go to school for art and, and my parents said no. So I was like, fine, mm-hmm. English. Um, yeah. <laughs> so some people do like actually steer their kids away from art as a career path. Yeah. But mm-hmm. for parents who may think that way, there may be a perspective that they may not have considered yet about what's possible for their child's future if they do pursue art. So do you have any um, advice on what perspective a parent may not have considered yet? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I was no joke just talking to somebody about that this weekend. So about being a broke artist. So I work for Docs in Progress, but I also work like as an independent contractor, a bunch of different kinds of jobs, including live events. So, you know, you got to make ends meet somehow. And so I was talking to uh, another person who has three teenage kids and he's like, 
And he was also working with me as a camera person. He's like, I will not let my kids become an artist. And so we had this long discussion about this. And I'm like, but you know, how did we get through the pandemic with the arts? Mm-hmm. Weren't we all watching Netflix or like listening to concerts or watching, you know, online plays? And so first of all, you know, we need the arts, right? Like, I think that goes without saying. You know, I don't know. I am an expectant parent. My wife is pregnant with our first, probably only child, you know, because we're 40 now. Thank you. And so we kind of joke, you know, she definitely wants her to be like, I don't know, an astronaut that goes to Mars. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I think she could just be a filmmaker. And Anna's like, no way. No. <laughs> and, you know, I think, I don't even know. I kind of already said this at the beginning. The ability to think critically and to bring information together and form new ideas like that type of higher level thinking that art allows. And I think this is allowed in many in all disciplines really. Right. But I think art, sometimes you don't think about that. And if I could just talk about my, my film life in synchro, uh, which was about synchronized skating, which I, you know, initially had no interest in the sport, um, which is why it took me so many years to actually even see it after I'd heard about it. But in the making that film, that was, the hardest project I'd ever worked on. I had never used my brain like I used it. And I never thought it was going to be as difficult as it was. And honestly, I think I probably got a few point, like a few IQ points smarter <laughs> making that movie <laughs> because it just required your brain to work in such a different way. And I think sometimes we think that, yes, there's like broke artists on the corner, but you know what? You talk to artists and they're oh so smart. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you think about any conversation you ever had with an artist. And, you know, and I think I want to go back to say that everyone is an artist, no matter what discipline you work in, because everyone's creating new things. Right. Like, I, I don't want to just like to exclude other people because sometimes that bothers me a little bit. Um, it's just, you know, it really is using your brain in new and creative ways. And I think parents, whether, you know, your kid is actually going to become like a famous painter or a famous writer, it doesn't matter. Just give them the avenue to experiment because in that experimentation is where there's a lot of growth. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. That might not, the thing that they do for art might not necessarily be the thing they end up doing forever, but it was, it was a part of their journey to getting what they might ultimately want to do. Exactly. So that's great. And I always like to play a little game sometimes on the podcast. Um, so we're going to play a little game right now. I'm going to read off the names of a few films that you've created. And could you tell us, um, and I'm going to read off what the films are about briefly. Uh-huh. And then okay. could you tell us your favorite part about making the film and maybe one valuable lesson that you learned in the process? All right. Sounds fun. Okay. <laughs> okay. So riding wild, um, which is, for those who don't know, is a feature-length documentary about a BMX lifer who bushwhacks a secret trail through a patch of forgotten woods in Baltimore City to escape the tough streets of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was a really fun project. All right, so what I loved about it is that, so this is literally like a patch of woods in the middle of the city, and it's this really cool bike trail, and these guys have built these ramps out of like nothing. Um, and you just seeing the ingenuity, creativity, right? (laughs) And folks with not a lot of means of what they were able to build, right? So that was just an amazing experience to be among them and and just to see how they lived. Um, And then I'm sorry, what was the second part of your question? Yeah. Uh, So one valuable lesson that you learned in the process. uh, 
Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, that this is definitely from a filmmaking perspective. That was a very big story, right? Like how do you tell the story of these guys hanging out in this patch of woods and how it was multiple characters, right? Talking about having to retain a lot of information and to see kind of like narrative arcs for each of these individuals. That was a major mental workout. And so I had a, you know, partner that I was working with this on and um, Charles Cohen, and he was a director of the film. Um, We literally like, it was literally like, okay, before you make the next film, you really have to have a better idea of what the story is because it was too many people to follow almost, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Life lessons learned. I like that though. I like that. You know, I personally, I really like when I go through an experience and, and like, I'm, I'm opened up to like something I just totally didn't even think about. And it's like, wow, now forever and always, I'll be aware that this is an aspect that I need to take into consideration. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So film number two, the Holy rewrite, which everybody that is uh, an animated fantasy short film that follows Jesus on the verge of another birthday. (laughs) <laughs> and he comes, I feel like I have to say the second part of it is, is that he's sitting up in heaven feeling kind of use, not useful. And so he asked God to send him down for a day to be useful again. So I really enjoyed making that. Um, honestly, yeah, it's like a fantasy, right? Like Jesus coming back to earth and, you know, being less, um, less conservative. Let's leave it at that. But my favorite part of making that film, it was animation, right? Again, I didn't go to school for animation, but I wanted to use that part of my brain. I wanted to learn something new and challenge myself. And man, was that a challenge? Cause that was the lesson. Animation is very hard. Yes. Um, it took me many, many months to get it done. Um, but you know, that, that seven minute short brought me a lot of joy in the end. That's awesome. And bless you for, um, you know, doing it. I took one animation class in college thinking, I don't know what I was thinking, but it was, <laughs> The clothes that like I was an AB student, I was like, this C minus is just going to have to do. And <laughs> right. what I think is, I think we're making like, we had to make chess pieces dance in 3D animation. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but he let me out the class. So. <laughs> Oh my god, 3D is hard. Yeah, no, that this was 2D. Very much, much easier. <laughs> oh boy, let me okay, shake it off, Mariah. All right. So <laughs> you kind of talked about life in synchro a bit already, which is the um film about women across the country who are devoted to the sport of synchronized skating and will stop at nothing to put it on the map and make synchronized skating an Olympic sport. And so what is your what was was your favorite part about making that film and one valuable lesson that you learned? Yeah, you know, my favorite part was just meeting these people that I probably never would have met otherwise, right? Um, You know, so obviously, I'm from Miami, like I said, I'm this Latina girl, I'm gay, and figure skating, especially synchronized skating seemed like everything that I wasn't, right? It's like this idea of what you think it is, right? It's like super feminine. It's probably super straight. It was super white. And I'm like, Oh, so I had this friend of mine who was a synchronized skater and she's like, but it's, you know, she kept telling me about it. And I really just, this is what I thought about it up until I saw it. And then when I saw it, I'm like, Oh my God, this is actually really cool. Even though I think it's these things. I was very fascinated by this idea of 16 skaters on the ice at the same time moving in like synchro, you know, synchronized, which is like, like who even tries to do that in the world today, right? Like work right. so together to achieve this thing that nobody knows exists. Cause that's the other part of it. I'm like, these women and young girls, they dedicate so much time and 
very few people know about the sport. So as I learned more about it, I realized, well, I was totally wrong in my preconceived notions, which is why we should never have preconceived notions of anything. <laughs> and I'm always learning and I'm still growing. Um, and so once I got past that, though, um, you know, I just got to meet people from, you know, Michigan and Maine, places I really never even been to before. But I think the biggest lesson I learned, and, and I'm really grateful for this, one of the main characters in the film is this uh, 65-year-old woman named Heidi, who has the most energy and passion for life and skating that I've ever seen in anybody. And I feel like, my God, you're like what I want to be when I grow up. And for me, it was a personal right lesson. Like, you know, you make something for other people to see, but the filmmaker, the artist really is the one who walks away with the biggest gain, right? Mm -hmm. Like I saw a model of, of, of living that I had never seen before, right? You rarely do you see people, women of a certain age being super active. And like in the documentary, she's like driving a boat. She's like, you know, she's skating. First of all, we, I don't skate. Do you skate, Mariah? Do you ice skate? No, I do (laughs) rollerblade. Okay. All right. To me, like ice skating, I still think is very dangerous. I can't imagine doing that as a 65 year old. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I just, you know, it's almost like, yeah, there's like many ways to live life, many ways to live life to the fullest. And I want to have a very full life. And here's an example of that. So it was honestly a personal lesson that I took away from that film. And I really, um, you know, I enjoy what you said about, and I heard in another interview, you said, you know, your friend was into synchronized skating. You were just like, I don't care. I feel um, so bad. And, yeah. and so, but that's good, you know, because I know, uh, especially with teens in life, you know, and children in school, there are some subjects or topics that because they're human, they just might not be interested in, or they might be afraid of, or, you know, they just whatever. But you then took that topic that you were like, eh, and then you said, okay, well, let me explore it. You know, let me see what's inside and on the other side of this and delved into it. And now not only do you have an appreciation, but like it's a complete stranger like me. <laughs> <laughs> appreciation for and anyone right. who watches the film and like it just ricochets to people who might you know be able to um get interested in something they didn't know about and so I think that's what's so you know for those of you listening that is what I I believe is so special about you Angela and what you're doing at Docs in Progress is that you are helping teens open up their minds you know delve into stuff that they may have shot away from before and just have a whole new, a couple of new skill sets, like you said, communication, et cetera. Definitely. Yeah. You know, um, I just want to say one thing because synchronized skating all began this one man named Dr. Richard Porter in Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1956, when he saw a group of girls just trying to get like a choreographed skating like program going on. And like 60 plus years later, that's a sport that's practiced all across the world. One person has that effect, right? I make this movie and now X number of people have seen it, but like, that's like, and everything in life, right? We have that ripple effect on each other. And I think with filmmaking and, and then like, you know, a lot of the creative art stuff, like we can have those effects, which is another reason why parents should encourage their kids to pursue arts if they're interested in it. Yes. There you go. (laughs) Bring it back to that. So we have two more questions. So can you recall a time where a child or teen's words changed your life forever? And do you remember what was said? You know, it wasn't words so much. I um, so back in Miami, I uh, actually ran and uh, operated my own, with my sister a private school, um, K through sixth, seventh grade, and uh, we had a student 
who was, um, you know, just come from a troubled home and he tried to hang himself at the school. Like it was not successful, obviously, you know, like it was, you know, like a belt on a, and you know, that kid has stayed with me. And I remember going, you know, like we had to take it, you know, I had to go to the you know hospital and, you know, I think about him sometimes because, you never think you're going to encounter that. Right. And mm-hmm. you're never going to be prepared. And I, n- I never really did know what to say, you know, other than just to be there for them. Yeah. Um, but I think of my teachers, right. Like, you know, I never had a moment like that, but still, you know, there are days you're down and sometimes just a teacher smiling and being there for you, like can make a world of difference. And so every time I'm teaching, right. Like, you know, it's hard, it's always hard to be positive and high energy, but every single encounter is an opportunity to make a difference. Right. And you never know what anyone else is going through, but you just hope that whatever I'm doing and making it, having a positive effect on another person to help them. And so, you know, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. I think that, like you said, that is so, that's what is so special about having a teacher or an instructor who really cares. And especially, you know, I'm no psychologist or counselor or anything like that, but at time summertime with teens, that can be a time like you with a lot of loneliness involved and you never know what a kid is going through. And sometimes the child might not feel comfortable talking to their parent for whatever reason. Um, And so if you put your kid in programs where they are able to have expression um, like this one, and they are able to be around a teacher like you who just has, you know, just, seems like to me a big heart for letting people express themselves and, you know, taking people on journeys that could be a life-saving element to a kid's summer, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. And so look into the future. What types of stories do you hope to tell more of? You know, I like everyday stories, right? Everyday folks. Um, You know, I'm working on two that are honestly a little too soon to even share too much about. Um, But I think we obviously we all have our own dramas and life, right? Like we are our own heroes in our, our, our life. And yes. I think that the stories that you don't see a lot, like just folk, like everyday folks, right? We, we have, we're doing these amazing things. And I just like finding those people and amplifying, amplifying their stories. Yes. That's so exciting. I'm glad we don't know, you know, I want to wait till it comes <laughs> out. And, oh, that's what she was thinking. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so how can listeners learn more about the filmmaking workshop for teens at docs in progress? And are there any deadlines that we should be aware of um, this summer right now? It's June uh, of 20. I mean, wait. Yes, June. <laughs> yeah, we're still in June. So, yeah, June so we have, a, yeah, we have um, two sessions coming up, one in July, mid-July, and the other one in August. And just to find out more information, go to our website, docsinprogress.org. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we're at Docs in Progress. And basically, you just want to sign up a couple days before the uh, – at least three days before the, the, the set deadline. But the sooner you sign up, the better chance to get a snagging a spot before we fill up. Okay, sweet. Well, thank you. There you have it, everybody. Docsandprogress.org. There are Docs in Progress almost everywhere online. Definitely check it out. And Angela, thank you so much for joining us today. You are a blast. And like any teen who is in your class is just lucky. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Loved chatting with you. Thanks. Alrighty, bye-bye. So what'd you think? How will you take what you learned today on the Ed Gap Evolution podcast to make sure that more children and families know that they have more options for building a magnificent future? If you like what you heard and want to get notified when the next episode goes live, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll notify you when the next episode is out. 
Don't forget to check the show notes where I share information on today's guests. And yes, we do have a website. You can always pop in on us at www.eggapevolution.com. Again, I'm Mariah Phillips, and I leave you with this. Embrace the evolution, y'all.